Hello, I'm Cormac. You're listening to Queerly Beloved, supported by Amazon Music. In this series, I invite DJs and musicians, friends and allies from the LGBTQ plus community to talk about music, queerness and anything else that shapes their unique story. It is my hope that in sharing our individual experiences, we can learn and grow and focus on our similarities rather than our differences. You can find all of the music mentioned in today's episode and each episode at the link in the episode description. Every once in a while, a band comes along that shakes up the norm and crosses musical boundaries. The XX are one such band. Their albums are known worldwide and regarded as timeless pieces of music. Romy Madley-Croft is best known as a singer, songwriter and guitarist for the XX and in solo mode as a DJ and pop star. Her debut album, Mid-Air, is the queer love pop album that the world has been waiting for. I'm thrilled to have her as my very first guest on Queerly Beloved. Romy, my dear, I'm so grateful that you take time for us to have a chat today. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy you asked me and I, I wanted to, to make the time. I'm just about to go on tour tomorrow. I'm at home today just packing and being with my dogs and just trying to get ready for the next stage. But yeah, it's lovely to speak to you. Romy, I want to ask you who you are, how you identify and what it is that you do. Uh, well, my name is Romy and I am... I don't know. That's actually such a straightforward question that I don't know. Who am I? What do you write when you have to fill out a form that says like occupation? (laughs) What do you put? What do I put? I mean, I usually write, um, it depends on the day. Uh, Yeah, I kind of got used to writing DJ. Yeah. But, you know, there were some countries that I played in when I first started where maybe you needed a visa and I didn't necessarily have a visa, so I wouldn't write (laughs) DJ, I would write something else. And sometimes when I go to write DJ, I almost pause in case I'm like, shit. (laughs) And I kind of had to like educate myself that this is actually my job. So I usually write DJ, sometimes I write musician. It's cool. I love the idea of writing DJ. I think that's something that feels very glamorous to me. I guess I've, I've been typically write musician, but I... In the summer when I was recently just just DJing, I tra- I traveled somewhere just for one day and just well, was just by myself and and they were like, well, what, do you, what, what, who are you? What do you do? And like, why are you here for one day? And I was like, I'm I'm a DJ. And then and it felt kind of exciting to say that. And then they were like, this is crazy that you're here for one. It's post COVID, I guess, to be traveling that quickly was uh, unusual. Um, but it it was in it, it was exciting to me to embrace. A different way of performing and traveling and because mm. typically with a band you kind of have a lot of equipment and stuff and it's less lightweight but there's something quite exciting and spontaneous to me of like being able to just go somewhere to dj and be lightweight and leave you know and connect with people and be able to leave and so that that's exciting you really don't have to um add anything um some people might have said how they identify like in terms of their sexuality or their identity i interviewed peaches last week and she said she identified as a fruit that's wonderful i think my instinct was like i mean i am i'm a human being i don't know Um, but i i I think i would say um i identify as a lesbian and uh, as queer and a person who's just out there just trying my best That's more than enough. A big um, impetus for doing the podcast for me has been because we have so much focus on our identity at the moment, and and rightly so, especially for non-heteronormative people who haven't felt recognised. I think it's very important that identity is recognised. I agree. I think it's like, you know, when when I think about myself as a teenager, like when you're sort of just looking for role models or you mentioned Peaches. I mean, Peaches was someone that was hugely inspiring to me. That was my first gig ever. I saw Peaches play uh, at Brixton Academy. I was just so blown away. And Peaches is an incredibly empowering performer, especially to me as such a shy teenager. And where did you grow up, Romy? Uh, I grew up in southwest London, uh, in Wandsworth. 
And I, um, so going to Brixton Academy was like a bus ride away. Were people in your family, like were, were your parents into music? Yeah, my, um, I think you, know, sort of, you appreciate things about family retrospectively, but I, um, I realized that my parents loved music at, as like a sort of something that was listened to at dinner time. It was always the kind of ritual that my dad would, or mum would put on a record or like put on some music to sit down to eat. And I think that's something I really love now. And I, we would sit and listen and it would not, you know, there'd be some conversation, but my, uh, my mum died when I was 11 and I, um, my dad was quite a shy and, and quiet person. So then when we would sit just the two of us together, he maybe wasn't the kind of loudest at the table. So we would just sit and listen to this music in silence. And that to me feels very like beautiful and sort of sad and now but in a, in, a, in a lovely way that he would just pick something for us to listen to that was always very eclectic. And um, wow. and it was very different to, you know, you sort of go to friends' houses and there's silence and conversation. <laughs> and I was thinking, what's happening? Where's the music? Um, so I think that that makes me appreciate how much music was a part of their kind of rituals. And that makes me feel kind of happy when I, when I think of those memories. It's beautiful. And there's an intimacy to that as well. Like experiencing music maybe in the absence of of talking and uh mm -hmm. prince said that um sometimes we're not ready to to express all of the feelings inside of us and for that we have songwriting yeah maybe maybe i'm romanticizing it but you know no i love that i i think that those experiences maybe it makes sense to me now why i maybe was quite early on in my life making a lot of mixed cds for girls and the things I couldn't say. <laughs> it was something that I had been experiencing, I guess, like through through him sharing music with me, and and I think that that's beautiful. And I really relate to not being able to say something. So writing it into lyrics um, has been something that I've explored a lot in my life. Well, yeah, and also like you know, if your wife's saying, "Is that how you feel?" It's like that's also yeah, what, exactly what you've been doing as well. Yeah, so like, to, totally. <laughs> to, I thought, oh God, I've done it again. <laughs> Yes, I really like you. It's <laughs> <laughs> so amazing. Eleven is so young to lose your mama. Yeah, it's a yeah, tough it one. Was, yeah, it was. It was a like a huge shock and very. It was not expected. So I think that it has taken me a long time, and it's something I'm still processing. Um, but I think that grief has been a big part of my life, and my dad um, died when I was twenty. So I think, you know, I think I've experienced different big sort of quite pivotal moments in my sort of childhood and then sort of moving into adulthood. And it's made me, yeah, I've, I've learned a sort of the less life lessons quite young. Um, but I also makes me see life in a, in a way that is, um, I am grateful for, you know, I think I appreciate things in a different way. So I try and see, I try and see the positive, but it is challenging. Grief's a motherfucker, isn't it? Because it's a, yeah. I lost my mom seven years ago and I lost my dad when I was 18. And I f feel also that grief has like been kind of there from the start in a way, like or mm -hmm. quite early on in the unpicking of that and how it can seep into perspectives and stuff. It's a, it's a long filtration of of grief. I mean, I still, I mean, the other day my father was dead, I think 20 something years. And I mean, I'm still processing that to some degree and I yeah. have different recollections and like, it's more peaceful to think of him now than it used to be. And mm -hmm. it's a very long journey. It's almost like, you know, I hear my friends <laughs> complain about their parents and I think, well, sort it out as best you can because when they're gone they're not actually gone <laughs> yeah yeah you know yeah yeah it's been interesting in my life and in music like trying to figure out like talking about how I feel you know like I've always been quite a person that says I'm fine I'm fine I, you know don't worry about me and sort of wearing that as like a badge of honor but at the same time sort of realizing actually sometimes I'm, I'm not okay and I and things just kind of whether you can push things down but they do come up sometimes when you least expect it and I've tried to express that more in songwriting in this album your dad was he cool with the gay stuff he was actually and I'm I'm very grateful for that you know to have felt that from him in a way we were more 
our relationship was more like friends. You know, he was quite, um, he wasn't a super authoritative figure. <laughs> he kind of gave me a lot of independence and trust at a young age, which is why, one of the reasons maybe why I was going out in Soho at 16 and 17. And I'm grateful for that trust because I, I had, uh, you know, experiences that changed my life. But he never made me feel that it wasn't okay. He just sort of very subtly acknowledged it. He um, used to work in the local library and he one day brought me back a flyer from the, the sort of, I can't remember what it was called in those days, but it was basically like a queer book fair. And um, he'd like left it for, next to my computer and I sort of looked at him and he looked at me and, and it was an exchanged, silent um, <laughs> acknowledgement. So I'm very grateful for that sort of generosity of him just sort of letting me know he he acknowledged it and it was okay that's very cool as well because you know <laughs> no teenager kind of wants their dad to sit and talk about their sex life or their love life anyway so that was a very <laughs> cool move on your dad's part yeah no I'm, I'm grateful for that I mean I was definitely giving him um when he started to date again um you know I was trying to give him advice as well so we would it was more like a, a friendship which I'm which I love in in retrospect I love thinking of that now can you choose for me a track Romy when you speak about those times sitting at the dinner table and listening to music is there one particular record or track that you could mention that brings you back to that time there's there's so many I think um it was hard to, to choose but I think I picked Dion Warwick walk on by because um I realized sort of in my adult life I suddenly knew all the words to all of this Dion Warwick back rack music and I was just sort of singing it and I was like why do I know this music like well this music is like in in, in my subconscious and it's quite you know, lyrically intricate and I I realized that I had a memory of sitting with both my parents you know, which I don't have a huge amount of memories of both of them together because I was you know, young when my mum passed away. But yeah, this 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 song, I I just have a memory of listening to it together at the dinner table. And I think, you know, it's still a song I love today and the amount of emotion in it. And it's just a brilliant song. And I, it felt like a nice one to share. And we mentioned Peaches as a first introduction to queer music, let's say. Is there a Peaches track you could choose? Yeah, I think... There's so many that it's, you know, I think Father Fucker as an album, like it was something that I just, um, I remember I bought that for um, Jamie uh, from the XX for his birthday, which we laugh about now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, th at this time he was like really, he was really into electronic music and I just thought that he'd really like the production and like, and he does, he does. And we, we, um, we listened to it on vinyl together um, at back, back then and a song that, now, when I listen back to that album, I still really love his Tombstone Baby. I think it's such a cool, amazingly produced track. A song I definitely I'd like to play that out in a club. I've never done that. It's kind of it's pretty crazy BPM that I'd love to I'd love to pick um, Tombstone Baby. It's a great choice, and the video also is great. Yeah, no, I love that video. It is so great. Actually, when I spoke with Peaches last week, you know. Quite funnily, she told me like she, she got signed to Sony and they were very excited. But then she made a video where her pubic hair was growing and growing and growing. And then they weren't so excited. <laughs> <laughs> when you make music, Romy, do you often start with lyrics or do you start with the musical idea? Or how was your beginning process? It, it's changed. I, when I first started songwriting, I used to just write poems. I was... You know, it wasn't until I was like super happy with all of the words on the page that I had the confidence to sing it. So I used to just like really obsess over the words and then be very shy about singing it. Oh God, yeah. But if I was proud of the words, then I'd be a bit more comfortable singing it. And so it was like that for a long time. Then I got into writing with other people, sort of pop, pop songwriting. And the whole idea of that is you're sat with a stranger and somebody just plays a chord on the piano and is you're there as the singer or the top line writer. So they're like, sing something. And I was like, I froze because I sort of oh, thought, well, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't have my, my words that I've perfected. I just, you know, and then that's where the whole kind of new, a new method of working came for me, which is just melody writing. Um, and that's how a lot of, I guess, is more typically 
a style of songwriting that the melody leads and then you fit lyrics to a melody. And so then a lot of my new music has been melody first, lyric second. And that was really fun and and different to, to just explore. Yeah, and kind of, you know, get the hook of the track nailed first in a way maybe or get the... Yeah. Yeah, and then fit things in around it. In a way, I would imagine that's quite freeing because I haven't written songs, certainly not to the extent that you have, but I also write poetry and I've tried mm -hmm. to fit that into tracks, etc. And sometimes that's so soul-bearing that it's like gut-wrenching to, to yeah. sing in front of someone or to expose what it is you've been feeling whereas you know how you describe it if you're kind of focusing on let's get the vibe of this thing going first I think that kind of frees it up or something it makes maybe it makes it less yeah personal I don't know I've had the experience sometimes that things can be so personal that it's painful <laughs> yeah no definitely I, I know that feeling very well um it's a sort of a balance of really wanting to try and get uh, an emotion out and like process it and that but for me songwriting is it's been amazing for that but then in terms of collaborating especially with someone you maybe don't know so well the idea of then processing or expressing those feelings in front of them is challenging <laughs> I think that's why um you know I, I've only really had pre only previously made music with um Oliver and Jamie from the XX and they're two of my oldest friends so when I was Kind of going into making new music it, I think I wasn't thinking I was making songs for me but when I was doing these songwriting sessions which sort of, I was really curious to write songs for other people as a way to not have to feel that excruciating feeling that I'm writing this honest song I could just you know I'm writing for someone else but in doing that you're not you're not often in the room with the person that's going to sing the song Sometimes you are, and I, I love that because I can just talk to them and say, "How are you feeling? What do you what What are you trying to express?" And I love that. But in terms of a big sort of pop star, uh, a lot of the time they just want songs sent in. So you're just you're just given a brief, and to write a song about anything for someone you've never met, for me, ended up meaning that I wrote very personal songs because I thought. I can just draw on my own experience and no one's going to know it's about me. Yeah. And it turned out that I, I really enjoyed that. And, and people were like, why are you giving this song away? It's clearly about you. Ah. So it just took me some time to be like, actually, okay, maybe I'll keep it. But it, it took me a bit of time to get there. It's so, it's so fascinating. It's kind of a dream of mine to sit in a like pop song writing brainstorm, you know, because sometimes I feel like I've got the guts of a track, but not quite other bits and that collaborative thing can be really, really fun. I think I think for me, sometimes the personal thing was painful because there was a long period of time where I would write from quite a depressed place. Um, I have depression and I, I manage that in, in various ways, but certainly I managed it through songwriting sometimes. Yeah. And then there's a lot of depression where you're kind of just getting on with the day and getting your strength up and presenting as if you're well and then you know mm -hmm. your songwriting is like hey busted <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, you're definitely. busted like this is very clearly you're clearly not feeling very well and I found that quite intense but you know I told you before I've been listening to your album a lot I really genuinely love it and oh, thank you so much you're so welcome honestly it's such an uplifting heart giddying reassuring beautiful piece of music um, well thank you. that's very beautifully said well you know because i really i really believe it and i really feel that from it and i can imagine that writing from that place because it's such a beautiful love album that that's also comes with a lot of vulnerability yeah <laughs> definitely i um <laughs> i i i i think that um yeah, there had to be a moment in time where I just went, I'm going to not think about who who's going to hear this apart from the person I'm writing it about and try, try to be as honest and as open as I could and not worry too much about, you know, whoever's going to hear it. 
it was funny because I wrote quite a lot of the songs in lockdown and you know it was just me and Vic who's now my wife who a lot of the songs are about um at home together and there's no collaboration really in that sense that in terms of like I'm just sat there writing a song and then she'd come into the room and I'd say oh can I play what I'm working on and then obviously I've it's about her so then she's like uh, she was like wow is is that really how you feel and I was like oh wow. yeah have I not <laughs> I, have I not I'm sorry if I haven't said that to you in words I've this is but what is it is it a good song should I carry on you know it's this kind of mixed um <laughs> expectation or sort of responsibility I put on her to be like a, an A&R and, and, a, and a, the recipient of a love song um but she she was she was brilliant at that there's that thing about um you know when you make music you really or when you make anything I guess is to enjoy the process and forget the outcome and I guess part of writing songs is to maybe at least writing very personal things as you describe is to uh, forget maybe that they will be listened to here <laughs> or like or not yeah. put yourself in that situation of how is this received because we never really know yeah how it's received we're only really in charge of what we put into it aren't we yeah definitely I think you know for, for just taking on some experience I've had from music releasing music with the XX is that with our first album I really didn't expect very many people to hear it apart from a very small group and and I had to go through the process of realizing more people were hearing this music than I ever imagined. And, and it was very personal. Hmm. And I, in the end, loved how personal it was. And then it, it reached more people, but it was out of my hands. You know, that was just like a shyness. Then, from, then making, making music since, then you're sort of more aware of oh, someone's going to hear this song. And so on this project, I just tried to kind of reconnect with that energy of, of when we made the first album and I didn't know who was going to hear it. I just was trying to express an emotion and it was good to reconnect with that and try and be a bit naive with it again. It's kind of insane, like how massive that album, that first album was. It kind of, it changed things a bit. It's kind of, it's funny to hear you say, oh, like I didn't really expect so many people to hear it because <laughs> it just kind of crossed so many different avenues of music and it touched a lot of people and there's a few tracks on that album I think that probably belong to the people now it's kind of bizarre it's like <laughs> you know they've become so ingrained in a certain generation's ear it is crazy I think you know a song like intro which is the first track on the album which Oliver and I joke about is the one song that doesn't actually have us singing on you know, I've seen that song emerge in situations that I could never imagine. You know, it, I think somebody, it was on the World Cup final penalties. They were playing that. Wow. And I was like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> you just sort of think this song is, it's something that we made when we were like 19 that is now sort of in, out there in the world in these different experiences of kind of high intensity uh, sport moment which I love is not what we were ever imagining, but, it, but I, but I, I love that that's where it's ended up. And that's what's beautiful about music. You know, once it's out in the world, it's, uh, it's either on the BBC on Britain's worst eaters or it's, you know, in someone's home. <laughs> you know, you, I get texts from people being like, did you know your song was on that? And they're like, Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. I think sometimes some albums and some music, there's a zeitgeist to it. The same with clubs actually. You know, like we when we first met, we were talking about a club that we both went to, the ghetto. And, mm -hmm. you know, having been around the world a bit and investigated various scenes in different countries and different times, there was a real zeitgeist to that time in that club mm -hmm. in London. There was something special going on that was, you can't create that by design. It's a culmination of the people, the time. Uh, the place, what's just come before, what's about to come after. Yeah. There's just, there's so many elements to it where it's an intangible thing to create somehow. Yeah, I think that I'm so grateful for that time and that club and, and that, you know, I think that it's nice to, when we spoke, when we first spoke, that, you know, that you, that you know it and that you've experienced it too. Because I think for me, only now, like looking back and like sort of reflecting a bit on like, 
you know, my love of DJing and the importance of like of like queer clubbing and like the community and friendships and all of those experiences I had when I first went out in London and and how important and influential that was for me. Like, and I think just wanting to celebrate that with this album I've done, but realizing that that I missed that and where is that now and like where do I find that now and like it makes you kind of appreciate things, I guess, in in the past. But for me, that was all I knew because that was the first. That was my first kind of queer club experience and growing up in London and that being like a place I got into underage for me was life changing. <laughs> so I feel grateful that you're saying, you know, it was a moment in time. I'm, I'm happy that I happened to just stumble into that as my, <laughs> my, my sort of local queer Baha experience. That really was, you know, having been in London for some years before that, that was quite a start. If that was your first gay club or you know trash palace and stuff like those mm -hmm. there was such a sense of excitement and possibility when you say trash palace i was like remembering i i did flyering for trash trash palace and ghetto did you? i was probably not a very good person that to, to like sell the club i looked very shy and miserable but i had the flyers and i was standing on old compton Street. oh my god um but yeah <laughs> was there um a track from those times that reminds you of when you first started going out i think that when i think about just being like in in like a queer space i think you know that kind of celebration and enjoyment of pop music without irony and like that just like appreciation um that's not not with this, you know, it doesn't come from that same energy as like a wedding set. It comes, you know, like where people are like, oh, this is, oh, ha, ha this, this, we're listening to this. Yeah. It's like, I love this song and here we are, we're listening to this song and then it's, we're loving it. And I really resonated with that. And that's something that has stayed with me so much. And, you know, just that appreciation and enjoyment of pop in its all its glory. Mm -hmm. I was thinking back to when the, you know, what, what the, the sort of era was, it would have been like for like current pop at the time I was going out. And I think that this Madonna album, Confessions on a Dance Floor, would have been out at, around that time. And um, I guess there's the big songs like Hung Up and Sorry from that album. And I really love that album. But this song, Get Together, it really, um, it makes me think about, I, I remember hearing this and, and just like, it, there's, a, there's a feeling of like a hazy, clubby, poppy, like kind of combination that um that makes me think of kind of going out at that time and uh it's one of the ones that I always kind of wanted to hear in the club and I'm, I, I feel like maybe I heard it once or twice but in reaction to that I now play it when I DJ as a sort of wanting to <laughs> you know just to hear it loud and uh, takes me back to that time. Do you know what it's so funny you mentioned that track because that album is just great and like I think there are so many different Madonnas through time. Yeah. But Madonna, when she's like a call to action, like get up and dance. Yeah. She does it so well. And that track, when I heard that album, Hung Up, yeah, was the single. And um, I think Jump was the single and something else. But Get Together was the really standout one for me because it felt really like dubby French house. And I learned recently, I don't know if it's correct, that it was based on, the idea of it was based on Stardust, the music sounds better with you. Oh, yeah. It was kind of based on the on the structure of that. But I must ask you, because you've been working with Stuart Price, what's that like? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I um, I'm a huge fan of Stuart and, and of his production and, and all of the different the different projects he's done. And, you know, Confessions on Dance Floor was just on my reference playlists when I was making this album. And I my manager said to me, Would you, why don't you have a conversation with Stuart? And I, that's not something that you just can happen all the time. So I wasn't expecting it to happen, you know. Um, but he was lovely and we, we had a... We just became friends very naturally and spoke loads about pop music and dance music and the way they intersect. And he's very generous with me asking that sound on this, on Get Together, you know, like what, me like geeking out about the, the production details and, you know, and he's like, oh, that's a reversed sound and this is this. And, and so for me, I was very excited to to work with him and to yeah. it's really cool and unique to be like oh this is my reference song but oh that you made this song oh wow okay <laughs> it's crazy uh, so but he was lovely at embracing that not you know it's not that I wanted to make something 
to drag him back into his past work. It didn't, it didn't feel energetically like that. He felt excited to like explore some of those sounds and those references again, which I lo- which I was grateful for, and it was fun to to kind of get some of the behind the scenes fun facts. Something with your album when I listened to it. I didn't immediately know that Stuart was involved in it, um, not until I read the credits, because I'm a, a credit geek. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing, because it's a credit to him, because he doesn't do the same thing each time. Yeah. And I really feel like there's a delicacy to your album that was also present in the XX, but it's very different. And it, it seems like a bit of a theme for you. And I, I, I think it sounds like you. Oh, thank you. It took me quite a long time to figure out, okay, if I am going to make music outside of the XX, what does it sound like? And I'm really drawn to these kind of dance sounds, but like pop dance and like things that feel not alienating sounds. I want to feel people to feel drawn in warm and and like accessible. I worked with quite a lot of different producers and I, I was drawn towards people who make kind of dance music and realizing that finding the kind of right collaborator to make songs that you can dance to, but also sing along to, and like finding that balance between pop and dance took me longer than I expected and was a big learning experience. But I had a kind of a clear vision in my head, I think, and I was very obsessed with trying to find that balance and between working with Fred again and like us just really bonding over a love again of, of pop and and the song, as well as, as, as the the dance music production side and and really connecting with him on that and then sort of figuring out well okay how do I make it sound like like me though like not not like Fred not like Jamie who worked on some songs but and I think Stuart really helped me find take those elements and and find my own balance with it and help me feel empowered to uh, have my ideas and I mean, so did Fred as well. It was nice to find those friendships where they were like encouraging me to like, what's your, what's in your head? You know, and I think um, I've gotten more like, I mean, I'm really obsessed with production details and and structure and the flow of a song. And so that's very much my involvement in the production. It's like very, I'm obsessed with all the elements, you know, and, and finding that balance, especially on a song like Enjoy Your Life where there's, there's all these samples there's a song in there there's these different rhythms it's you know, I want people to be dancing and feeling the emotion I spent a long time with all the different stems just trying to find that balance I was trying to find what was in my head I guess you did a very good job I must say um because there's a euphoria there that I would associate more with the good side of everyone's talking about the 90s they never stop talking about the 90s but the good side <laughs> of like you know, elements of trance. But part of trance, for example, was a very long extension of things in the build. Mm-hmm. But there's a euphoria that hits in your album that is reminiscent of that, but done in oh, a very yeah. pop structure way. And it's very clever. The other thing I love about your album is that it's like, what, 36 minutes long or yeah. something. <laughs> and I have this theory, I don't know if it's true, but I feel like all the really great classic pop albums are less than 45 minutes. Okay, that's interesting. You know, punk, for example, one of the great things about punk music was that every track was like three minutes. It was like, you get up, you do it, and the message is there. And I think when the message is there and the elements are right, it's like a smack in the face. It's not, that's maybe not a good analogy I grew up in Northern Ireland sorry no I, I, <laughs> it doesn't have to be drawn out it's like boom that's it we hit it and uh your album has that there's a punk sensibility to it in that in that regard of of just being very <laughs> potent you. yeah I'm obsessed with that as well I think that I love this concept that the perfect pop song is three minutes 30 like whenever I sort of work on something structurally and it fits in less time than that I'm very satisfied I'm really like conscious that I wanted the song the moment you press play there to be a sound that catches your ear so you know what the song is even if it's subconscious I put your album on most mornings I find it like really uplifting I don't always wake up in the best headspace my headspace is like something I have to 
to work on. It kind of it's a practice of different things to try and get me in the right headspace. And music is one of them. Yeah. And I find your album very uplifting and positive and hopeful. And one of my friends said to me, like, it's really lovely to hear a same sex love album that's so positive. A lot of our music throughout time, like if you think of like Small Town Boy yeah. or even Culture Club and stuff, all of that was kind of about unrequited love. You know, that was like yeah. a broken heart of like a, a gay guy falling in love with a straight guy and it's just never going to work. Yeah. Your album is so positive. It's like if I was a, a kid listening to that now, I mean, that's so encouraging. Oh, well, that, that means a lot that to hear you say that I mean that's all I'd ever hope for you know in the past I have written a lot of not so explicitly queer love songs about heartache <laughs> and I was just excited to have the opportunity it sort of gave me motivation and like um it kind of allowed me to give myself the permission to make a solo project to with the intention to try and make something that was positive and a celebration of queer love and to kind of hopefully be a step to normalizing that within a within the frame of a, a, like a pop song you know and think that if if these songs make it onto like a mainstream radio station and then somebody clocks oh is she singing did she just say i love her you know and and then and then that'd be uh no oh that's fine that's okay and a little step towards normalizing it i would be so happy it was really interesting to hear that like she's on my mind a song from the album is like doing really well at the radio in Turkey and I was thought that's amazing you know like great but it's just fascinating how once you make you have that intention and you make the song and you put it out into the world and you don't know what's going to happen but I love the idea that people are listening to it you're like a stealth queer revolutionary <laughs> sneaking same songs into Turkey <laughs> I love it it's like do you know like Freddie Mercury like had a rock and roll band looked like a complete clone called a queen and the majority of people who loved it were straight. And a lot of people did not get that he was a big queen. Yeah. And I mean, it's so stealth to to do that. I mean, jokes aside, you should be really proud of that because I think we don't have enough of that in our ears and in our world for generations. You know, the queer people in our media, we've had our depth taken out of us somehow. Like we're either the comic effect or... You know, like there's usually some male perspective involved when it's uh, two women together. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always this kind of devaluing or defusing of of our identity. And I think you should be really proud to put that out as your first album because you know the effect that music can have on us and music can change kids' lives. And, you know, we've had our, you had Peaches, someone now has you, you know, that's really, oh, wow. really amazing, Romy. Thank you. That's, thanks for saying that. That, that. That's, that's, that's all I could ever really hope for from doing that. When did you make the click to think I could make music or I could perform or I could DJ or when did that happen? I think I started writing songs as a way to express how I was feeling in my head, but it was very private and very, I was very shy about sharing that with anyone. I, I used to whisper it late at night when I was singing to myself so that my dad didn't hear. I was not the, the kid at school that wanted to be on the stage or, you know, look at me. Or It was kind of quite counter. It didn't quite match up, I think, to my extended family when I said, oh, I'm, I make music. They were quite shocked. And I, at that time... Um, Oliver from the XX and I, we've been best friends since we were three. So we've grown up together. And I would say, I said to him, by the way, I think I like singing. And then he was like, what? And then I was like, what, what do you, why? What? And he's like, wait, so do I. And it was this kind of um, quite unexpected, a secret side of both of us that we then shared with each other. So it was like, no, I don't want to sing, you sing. And then we sang together. And that's kind of how... The, the band started is we sang together and our voices kind of fit um which I love and we didn't really try to do had you both come out to each other at that point let me think I think yes I think that was quite early on in us coming out to each other but but yeah I think by then we would have done yeah it just felt like another extension of our friendship 
and we both were obsessed with music, going to gigs, and it felt fun to just try it ourselves. And um, I think through MySpace, that was a big vehicle to share music at the time. We just made some music and put it on MySpace. And it was very, I'm grateful for that as a way to just create something and share it with the world. In doing that, we ended up starting to play some gigs. And I don't think we looked like we wanted to be on the stage, probably for about two, three years of doing it. <laughs> we just look, I just for some reason we just we just kept doing it. Um, and I think that I'm grateful we did. Uh, and it felt like at that time, playing live was very much part of the, I don't know, the people we admired or the scene that we were drawn towards of like sort of more indie music at that time. Um, people played live. So there we were sort of standing there um, feeling very self-conscious. But over time, I, I think we really loved it and grew into it. <laughs> I, I think we, we love the songwriting and the creation side, but I think the performance element has been something we've grown into, both of us. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's, that's a, I guess, <laughs> a slightly high-speed version of events. And the DJing came after then? Is the DJing more recent? I started DJing around the same time as we started playing live. Um, so I got given the opportunity to DJ at Ghetto. So that was my introduction to DJing. I used to go there all the time and then it was sort of said, well, would you like to DJ? And I said, well, I, I don't know how. And he said, well, just burn some CDs and come back next week. You fade it in and out. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, and I, it was empowering just to think, I'm just going to give this a go. And what I loved is that it helped me as a shy person, connect with a room full of people in a way that I couldn't through talking, but through playing a song and feeling the energy and the reaction of people grateful to hear it or excited about what was coming out of the speakers, that made me feel so excited and alive and like and like connected to them. And I, something, a feeling that I still love now. But I stopped DJing when um, the XX were touring. I think I had an experience where I would uh, had the opportunity to DJ after an XX gig and I played a lot of the music that I'd been playing at Ghetto and um, people said to me, are you taking the piss? Oh. And I was like, what, what do you mean? It, I was just playing joyful pop dance music that I loved and it was just very different, I think, to the music that we were making with the XX. And that's so interesting. Just different to the perception that maybe someone that's coming to see our band would have thought that I was into. And it honestly made me freeze. Did that put you off DJing for a bit? It did. I think at that age, like I think I was probably 20. And I think at that point I was just was so grateful that people were interested in our band. I didn't want to do anything to disrupt it. Mm. I, I just was so protective of of this kind of new thing that was growing that I found that experience quite confronting. And I don't know, it made me feel um, a little bit confused. And I, I think I, I definitely hid and like just took a step back from being as visible about my sexuality, about my love of pop music. I just kind of retreated a bit. And I think that's naturally maybe just having a sort of spotlight shone on, on me at that age. I, I, I kind of was just, more private and I I understand why but I also think I got to the point where I was like oh, I really miss this and I really want to celebrate my love of of everything that I've kind of been more guarded about uh, and I think this whole project has been me sort of realizing that I've gone back to that moment where someone kind of confronted me and questioned it and now I'm going yes I love this and I don't care I'm going to continue it but it, it it sort of stopped me in my tracks for a bit. It's almost like a second coming out. Yeah I think so. Yeah, I sometimes wonder as queer people, do we naturally closet some things, you know, because if you grow up in a, everyone's experience is different, but if you grow up where in a culture where there's not so many positive references, mm -hmm. you do learn, I'll speak for myself, kind of learn to edit parts of myself or hold parts of ourselves yeah. back. I think probably all people do that to some degree, but maybe as queer people, we have less positive reference points and we get very good at that i mean i was in the closet with my sexuality i was in the closet with my drug addiction i was in the closet with my depression i've been in so many closets i mean 
I could have a clothes collection. It's insane. Yeah. And then going back and finding those things and there might be more joy to be found in confirming and affirming your love of pop music, maybe more than saying I'm a drug addict. But there is value in both of those things because they're step forwards, you know, they're like, this is how it is. I have to Absolutely. And it, it's a releasing of a needing to like have that masking and like that veiling of the, these things that are real. And whether it is a love of pop music or, or you know, an addiction, I think it's good to like let, let let it go and like be able to be honest. Yes. And so many different things. But uh, yeah, how, how how did you feel being more open about, about things? Well, I was in the closet to myself about my addiction. I didn't realize I had a problem with drugs and alcohol. I did have a slight indication when I moved from Ireland to England and it was quite messy. And I thought, oh, people don't get as drunk and as wasted here. But I just thought, oh, I'm Irish. Right. But then it just kind of, <laughs> it just kind of, uh, it kept going. And I, and really, you know, it certainly wasn't perhaps as messy as some people. And it was messier than other people's. But really, for me, the the problem was the inside chaos. You know, I was trying to self-medicate Mm-hmm. with substances. I had quite bad depression and I was using substances to try and medicate that. And then of course, in the end, you know, that got quite messy and then it also stopped working. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of pushed into a situation to confront that. And although I had a lot of madness, I somehow also had some common sense and I was able to say, okay, like I'm spinning my wheels here and never, I can't imagine that my journey into my mental health is going to be much fun, but it's never going to get better until I stop Mm -hmm. throwing hand grenades into the equation on weekends. Yeah. um, (laughs) So, so I kind of went and got a lot of help and I started to go to 12 step groups and I got a therapist and I still lean heavily on those Mm -hmm. You know, I'd been partying like since I was 14, really, like ingesting something to change the way I feel Yeah. since I was 14 and um, stopping that, like learning how to live life without something to change how I feel. It was like, it was, it was like learning a new language. It was yeah. like waking up. I like, I had to get help. It was just stopping that and knowing how to do it would be saying like, okay, you know, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to be fluent and finish. <laughs> it was like, yeah, I yeah. was obviously going to have to, I was obviously going to have to invest time and effort into learning how to do that because I didn't know how to. So, yeah. I mean, in, in terms of the closet question, I talk about it here with you and I talk about it sometimes with people. I don't run about with it on a t-shirt, but only because I felt like when I was getting wasted and when I was very messy and a liability to my friends I feel like it took up a lot of space Mm -hmm. and I don't then want my sobriety to take up a lot of space you know right I kind of (laughs) want to be open about it in that I'm not ashamed of it I don't regret anything and Mm -hmm. also you know addiction is no stranger to us as queer people we're three times more likely to deal with addiction three times more likely to deal with mental health issues and I think you know, I don't have all the answers, but talking about it surely must help other people, you know, like we need to talk Definitely. about it. I was going to say that I think although I, I respect and I, I understand what you're saying about being in the place where you think that you don't want to take up space by talking about the, your sobriety, I also think that hearing you talk about it and the way that you acknowledge that you wanted to make some changes and you figured out ways to help yourself is very inspiring and beautiful to hear that. That's very kind of you to say. Thank you. It's also maybe not the conversations that we're so used to having in club spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you know, it's like very often we're, we're at our best or, or in some elevated form, but a lot of people suffer during the week. A lot of people don't. A lot of people are having great times and more power to them. You know, yeah. if the only thing that a bit of excess costs you is money, then go for it. You know, (laughs) but for me, it was costing me more. It was kind of costing me my peace of mind and my health and my friendships. And Mm -hmm. I just got really tired of wrestling with it. And it was easier. Ultimately, it didn't seem at the time, but ultimately it was easier for me just to 
put those things down and accept that um, in this lifetime, for whatever reason, wrestling with those things is a bit, it's, it's too much of a gamble for me. Well, I think it's, um, it's amazing that you've done that. And I think that's, it's not easy. I know. And like I've a lot of friends that um, I've observed and admired and, and sort of witnessed wrestling with, with addiction and, and not being ready to acknowledge it. So the fact that you acknowledged it and are working through it, I think is, is very powerful. Thank you. It took some time. I tried to change everything except that. <laughs> I tried to change yeah. everything except uh, putting down drugs and alcohol, but it was just like rearranging furniture on the Titanic. <laughs> it, was like it, wasn't, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't really working out. You know, I wanted to tell you, Romy, we both had our first DJ gig at the ghetto. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Isn't that insane? That's so cool. In that wow. Booth, that's that little that's so red special. Booth. Yes. Yeah. What were you playing back then? I was playing, um, I was buying vinyl for quite a while. And I remember I was playing a lot of Electroclash stuff. I would have played La Tigra, for example. I would have played also Tiga. And I would have played, um, what else? I was playing a lot of pop music. I mean, I, I really love a lot of like 12 inch dance mixes, Shep Pettibone, things like that. So I, my goal with DJing was to kind of find this space between the place where dance music brought me, but pop music also brought me there. I think really what you could say is like somehow merge the euphoria that I felt with dance music and somehow occasionally bring in the message of what I was getting through pop music somehow. So, but it took me a while maybe to get good at that in the way I wanted to. Mm -hmm. So I was probably playing quite a mix match of different vinyls at the time and mixing it very badly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. But I, I, I love, I love the, what you described about, you know, your intention with like pop and like euphoria and like, that's like, I really resonate with that. I think, you know, that's still what I'm just trying to do. It's just like, you know, when I find like edits or remixes of like a really amazing pop song that's like kind of embedded in like a more of like a, a darker club track, it's kind of like, like I found a track recently that's got like, like finally, that finally it's happened to me, like that vocal just sort of embedded in this like quite dark track. <laughs> I just love the mix. Uh -huh. And you get everyone being like, woo, and then it's very heavy. Amazing. I still want people to sort of be having that playful experience and that kind of connection to a nostalgic moment or, oh, oh, this song. And I love when you can look out and see, see people having that like moment where they're like, oh, is it this track? That's something I always love to see. Is there a record that you could choose from your early sets as a DJ that um, so we can get an idea of what you were playing at the time? Yeah, um, I, the reason I've picked this song is because it's something that I relied on quite heavily with. We were talking, you were mentioning about mixing, having been given this opportunity to DJ, having no experience. I had to rely on songs that you press play. The moment you press play, there's hands in the air. And I think Hadaway, What Is Love is a song that you press play and instantly it has an impact. And I still love it for that reason. And I still have found myself in situations where the tr a track's about to end and I'm running out of time. So I just quickly find that song and press play and, and it's, it's, it remedies any chaotic <laughs> mixing. Um, so I did that recently. So it made me think about that time. And uh, it's got that right level of emotion and playfulness and sing along whilst being on the dance floor. So. It's a great choice. I love that. It's a great track from that era as well. Actually, regarding Get Together, I wanted to tell you that we were both at Homo Block. Yes. And I actually, I didn't want to bother you prior to your gig because I don't know if you're quite chill before your gig. I, I'm very chill usually before my gig and I don't, I'm not super social. So I kind of thought your gig had finished and I went up to your room and I knocked on the door and I was like, oh, I want to say hello to Romy, but you weren't there. Oh. So, um, but actually prior to that, when I finished my gig and I was walking through the enormity of Homo Block, which is yeah. huge, you were playing Get Together. And I was oh, like, wow. I haven't heard this in a club. 
Oh, it was amazing. so good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I really wished that I'd seen you at Homo Blog. It's, it's an amazing experience, Homo Blog, like just to see the scale of that event. Yeah. I also had like quite a lot of friends there, a lot of people that were kind of excited to be letting their guard down, shall we say. Um, and I'm like there trying to get ready for the show. Yeah. And I, I always like seeing people before the show, but I just need like five minutes just to like do some vocal warm ups and stuff. So I would have loved to have seen you before. So next time, if we're in the same place, please do say hi. But I did have to like take a little bit of a moment away from everyone. Like the, there were so many people I wanted to see. I really wanted to see you. I really wanted to. And then you're when you're kind of getting ready. What I found now getting ready to sing and like perform is slightly different than when I'm getting ready to go up and DJ. Absolutely. So I, I needed to take a little bit more time to do my vocal warm ups. <laughs> I've done vocal warm ups now in um in quite a few club environments where I just have to put headphones in and sing. Yes. And no one can hear me because I'm in a club, <laughs> but I can hear the vocal warm-up routine. Um, uh, so that I probably look crazy. You just don't want your dressing room to get so busy that you have to step out of it to have quiet. Yeah, point, that, that, you know, that is they quite... They need act- to step out so that you could have your... I would say energetically and as a person I would be more likely to step out of my own dressing room than to ask everybody in it to leave yeah. <laughs> um, but, but maybe I should be better at saying guys can I have some space so we talked about so much and uh, I wanted to ask you you know as a touring traveling artist and as a queer person with the life experiences that you've had do you have a sanity practice in this crazy world yeah. <laughs> do you have like a way of staying relatively sane or buffering yourself <laughs> from the, the craziness. I'm really curious of how we all manage it. I'm fascinated as well to know what, what everyone does. I'd love to hear what, what, you're, what you do. I, I think that I, um, I've been relying on Headspace quite a bit, actually, the app. There are these like sleep casts or like stories, kind of like a children's story, but like just I'm kind of interested in this kind of if there's like a scientific balance of like what words they say to you to make you like hypnotize you asleep because I think it must be something like that but you know that feeling of after a show of like lying there and you know just uh I can't sleep I'm just full of adrenaline and I'm just trying to wind down so I've just been trying to find healthy um ways to do that and that's been quite helpful to sort of use that as like a mindfulness tool um I always try and get out and like see where I am I really don't like it just turn going straight to the venue if I can help it I just try and find like a place to get a coffee just to feel like I'm there that really helps me and um and just like I'm trying to work in more exercise as part of the touring experience but that's not always easy and just yeah seeing a familiar face as well at festivals I think is is great for me so you know, please next time it would be lovely to see you in the in that festival I will, environment. I will. I'm gonna I'm gonna come and hug you for sure. <laughs> and um, do you ever get lows after performing or gigging? Do you ever get like a bit of a, you know, like a performer low? Uh, definitely. I think it's. I found um, after Homo Block, you know, especially trying something new um, on a stage of that scale. The next day, I felt quite overexposed in a way. I, I kind of was like. Mm how did that how was that how did it go and you know looking out and trying to connect especially in a festival environment you know I love the feeling of that it's so many more new people that might be experiencing your music than than already then they might not know who you are and I love that but when you're trying something new it's sometimes a bit like you don't know how it went <laughs> and um and I, I I left that experience feeling a little bit like ah <laughs> and that can be difficult in terms of anxiety and like feeling just like there's a part of me that wants to try these things and, and put myself out there and to go out of my comfort zone. There's like a, a, an attraction to it. There's a part of me that says, go for it, yeah. try something new. And then there's the part of you that the next day that goes, oh, that was, <laughs> how did that go? And, and I kind of battle that quite a lot of yeah. the time. I think being an intrinsically shy person that likes to try these things, um, there's a moment where like, I feel quite anxious totally relate to that and I've kind of learned not to really trust my head the day after yeah that's good because I kind of realize a lot of its tiredness and when I'm tired I tend to be a little bit more unkind to myself yeah mentally I really I relate to that my friend said um we went for a dance after 
after my set at, um, at Homo Block and and she said, um, she's like, like, what are you thinking about right now? And I said, oh, no. And she's like, are you being kind to yourself? She could. She spotted that I went to a, mm. a place where I was like maybe just dissecting the gig and she's like, I can see you maybe being unkind. And I think that's helpful just to recognize that maybe, I, I like that thought that like in therapy and stuff, I've, I've heard about the idea that would you, you talk to yourself unkindly, but how would you talk to your friend? You know, like, don't try and be kinder to yourself. You know, if, if you told me that you had had a difficult gig or, you know, the way I would talk to you would not be the same way that I just talked to myself. Thought I had a difficult gig. Exactly. It's good to try and remember that. And I like the idea that you're saying maybe if you're tired, you're not, not always trust that voice in your head in times that might feel a bit tough or when you might be tired or being less kind or to yourself than than we should be is there a track you can lean on yes there's a, a track by beverly glenn copeland called levita which is the inspiration for my song enjoy your life it's the, it contains the lyrics my mother says to me enjoy your life which i thought was such a beautiful sentence and hmm. really helped, resonated with me sort of thinking about my mum dying when I was younger and like just the different the way that I've experienced like the kind of idea that life is short and wanting to make the best of it but not acknowledging that that's not always easy (laughs) you know you can have the intention to try and live life to the full and be positive all the time but then sometimes you wake up and it's Mm. you know you don't feel like that and when I heard that song I I connected to the intention of like having a, a song or some words that can be a reminder to like bring you back to that intention of wanting to try and see the positive and the, the whole lyrics of the of the song are really beautiful and just the kind of um acknowledging that things can be challenging acknowledging that you know there's there's a lot to, to do in the day but then that kind of clarity of of trying to enjoy life and i watched a um an amazing live stream of of glenn uh in lockdown and it was like a sort of almost like a spiritual sort of experience just I was up late one night and um and he was doing a live stream I think from Canada and um I couldn't sleep and I was just watching this this performance and I I just found it so healing and so comforting and uh his energy and presence is very um it's very beautiful and and wholesome and Mm. and kind of kind and I just felt like oh I really need this and um I was so grateful to have discovered his music and thank you for introducing me to it. I didn't know it. Oh, that's great. And it's so beautiful. Like even before the lyrics, like as an instrumental piece of music as well, it's, um, it, there's something about it that's very nature. Yeah. All of the, the work that he does is, is quite unique and it's just really, I found it very beautiful. So I, I, that's why I chose him. Can you give us a current killer track <laughs> in your record bag? Yeah, so I've I've chosen to play uh, or to share, I should say, <laughs> just a, a remix of Sonique that I've basically played every single time I DJ, and it's not a it's not a brand new track, it's not like a fresh sort of secret song, but I I wanted to share it because I felt like it um, has surprised me the way that this song, which feels very much part of my subconscious from growing up, it's kind of like a trancey remix. And um, I played it in different parts of the world and people just seem to like, it whips off this kind of joyful, playful energy that I really love. Uh-huh. And I want, I kind of want to bottle and I can't seem to recreate it with any other song. So I just keep playing this song. <laughs> so it, it just kind of gets people excited. And I don't, you know, in some parts of the world, I'm like, do you know who Sonique is? Do you know this song? Or are you just feeling the energy of this version of it? Um, which I, I'm fascinated by, so. Is there anything you can plug or tell us going on tour tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. You've had an insane year. I am so grateful that to have had um, a lot of fun this year and to have been able to share this new music and to feel people excited about it. It means the world to me. And I'm excited in the new year to to try to make some more music for this project and to, you know, make more music with the XX and uh, just to keep kind of trying new things and I did a show in London um, recently and that was really special to me to be able to play this music to, to a group of people that it wasn't a festival. It was they had chosen to be there and they had chosen to 
listened to the album and that was a very special experience and felt quite healing after me feeling quite vulnerable and anxious after Homo Block and mm. um, I'm going to be doing some more shows um, in in the new year so um, I guess that's my plug that I'd <laughs> um, but uh, um, but I'm looking forward to, to, to connecting in that live way um, which I think is so special. Romy this has been such a pleasure I oh. mean I know we've spoken before and there's a lovely uh, connection there, but this has been such a privilege to sit and, and, and chat with you. I can't wait to see you again in person and give you a massive hug. Oh, you too. It's been really lovely speaking to you. And thank you for your lovely questions and, and uh, the space to talk about oh. all of this stuff. You've been listening to Queerly Beloved with me, Cormac. You can find the playlist of all the music featured in today's episode in the episode description. And while you're there, please do hit subscribe so you don't miss out on my conversations with other talented people. A big thank you to Michael Lane, my producer, my manager, Melissa Taylor at Tailored Communication, and of course, to Amazon Music for their support. Take care of yourself. All the best. Bye. Bye.